dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, this week, we've got an extended interview with our Soil Health U content coordinator, Jessica Nadd, about her journey to soil health, or some people may call it regenerative agriculture. Um, Others like to call it organic or no-till or conservation. I mean, there are as many ways to skin that cat as there are cats in the universe, right, Kayleen? Yes, there is. (laughs) Um, We've been covering this topic for a couple years now, soil health. It's it's on everybody's lips um, because it's more, you know, the sustainability factor of soil health and what it can do for your farm. Kayleen, I, I think I recall you've done some cover crop stories in the past, right? Yeah, a couple. And, you know, we've always talked about conservation tillage as long as I've been writing professionally. Now, Kayleen, I know you guys don't run crops, but you have cattle and you've got some ground. So I know, for example, last year's Soil Health You, there was some some takeaway lessons for you. Um, were there some things that, that kind of perked your ears and, and you and, and Spence have talked about? Yeah, there was some of that stuff. I know there was one session, I can't remember if it was at Soil Health U or if it was at another um, Soil Health event that I had covered, talking about the mob grazing and how you move Mm. them quickly, move them around and let them graze only a certain time. And we had a candid conversation about that, but we've, you know, tried to, to do the best we can with what we have and well, and with you both working full time, limited uh, labor resources and everything, some of these some of these applications take full time farm. I mean, full time there, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, you're, you're there. Yeah. So uh, you you do the best that you can with the yeah. resources that you have available. Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing to me was the one where they had to cover crops next to the pasture, and they had torn the fence down between them, and they were grazing short periods of time and just seeing the the amount of insects that were on the the new the old pasture ground and how things were moving around and the dung beetles I think the dung beetles are just the coolest thing ever (laughs) (laughs) and I've noticed them out in our own pasture so they're there you just have to take the time to notice them I think what fascinates me about the whole soil health or regenerative agriculture is these things aren't new Farmers and ranchers are always constantly trying to figure out ways to do it better, to do it more efficiently, to have better quality um, crops and livestock, to have more quantity of crops and livestock. There is always something that you can do to tinker with your system. And sometimes that means um, fertilizers and and added inputs. Uh, For some farmers, that is how they choose to farm. Others uh, look to nature and figure out, well, let's mimic what nature does. And their business model means that they can make money 
off of that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can follow every single business model. And, and I think it's important to stress that, especially to people that aren't familiar with farming. There is no cookie cutter factory. No. There is no um, Mr. Ford out here with an assembly line. <laughs> and you have to try it more than once and get what fits your operation. You can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm, I tried it this year. It didn't work. I'm not going to try it again. I'm constantly reminded that the worst silent partner of a farmer is Mother Nature. Because she's not exactly silent. <laughs> and she's not very forgiving. <laughs> exactly. And uh, well, Mother Nature will throw you a curveball, whether it's too much rain or not enough rain or um, some weather event that is going to wipe out a crop. What we're doing with soil health or what the overall thought process really is, is um, you're not just managing for year one and then going back to something year two. Mm-hmm. You're managing for year one through year 20. Yeah. This is a long, long-term process, and and you're going to be tinkering with it. You, I talk to guys; they never get it completely perfect. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's some that have it really, really are high functioning with their soil health, but every single one of them will tell you, "Well, there's something else we can do. We yeah. can we can tinker more." I think people need to understand that that farms come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all different regions. They have different soils, they have different climates, they have different um, production goals. So, you know, the best thing we can tell people is look at it with an open mind. Yeah, there's always something that you can learn from somebody else. Yeah, I think um, when I was a kid, (laughs) I tell this story a lot, my dad and my granddad did not buy into chemical fertilizer. I don't know why, (laughs) I think maybe it was a financial thing. Because it cost a lot of money. <laughs> they did. Back in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, in 60s, 70s, and 80s, when the, the chemical fertilizers and, and crop inputs started coming on the market, mm-hmm. that was really expensive. And they're still really expensive, by the yes. way. You don't just go applying those willy-nilly because that's like throwing diamonds on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back then, when my dad and, and granddad were still farming, they used a fish-based fertilizer, Kayleen. <laughs> Does it smell as yummy as the feed yard fertilizer that they spread around <gasps> here? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, um, that smell, because it was just awful. I mean, it stunk to high heaven. But that was the fertilizer that they used because it fit into their business model. It fit into their price range, and they could apply it with the equipment that they had. These were things that they had mm-hmm. to you know, the one of just one of the 99 different decisions it takes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I know that some of the soil health principles that we talk about in whether it's Soil Health You or we write about or, or that we talk to Jessica about later on in the show, I know they may see, sound a little wacky. Look, everything sounds wacky at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> the, when the first BT crops were created, even my dad was like, well, what no (laughs) that's not how that works but eventually they become common knowledge and and they they find their uses so um that's really what i love about our u events is uh we bring them new ideas some of them stick some of them go and go by the wayside but it's up to each farmer to pick and choose what works for them yeah it sure is if you have a comment or a thought, you can drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at the office 
1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. In this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the December 9th print edition. Then we'll have that full interview with Jessica Nadd about her journey to soil health. And as always, Kayleen will wrap it up with the markets. So the cattle got to be fed. And thankfully, that feed wagon has a Bluetooth. So crank it up. And thanks for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week was from Kayleen, Ag Educator Helps Envision Future for Students. The Wayne, Nebraska School District is part of a compact with Wayne State College and seven other educational partners to help improve college and career readiness for community growth and economic vitality in the region. Inside, Shauna Rumbaugh brings us a story out of the Rural and Independent Innovators Conference. And Lacey Newland writes about the USDA investing $4.2 million in rural high-speed broadband groundwork in Oklahoma. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or call us at 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. Well, joining us today on HPJ Talk is a very special guest. We have with us Jessica Nad, who is our Soil Health U content consultant. And uh, Jessica, welcome to the podcast. This is great to have you on. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'll get to talking Soil Health U here um, in a little bit, but I really wanted to, we really wanted to talk on this podcast. interview with you about soil health. And first off, what is soil health or regenerative agriculture? Those those kind of get tossed around a lot and people may not understand what those phrases mean. So could you kind of explain it for our farming and our non-farming audience? Absolutely. You know, the easiest way that I could use to describe what we're talking about this topic and soil health is, is basically when we have healthy soil, we're going to produce healthy food. And when we have healthy food, we're going to grow healthy people and healthy animals, and it's going to help the planet overall. And so, you know, there's a lot of definitions out there. Soil health typically, you know, the NRCS definition is just this continual capacity of the soil to function as a vital living ecosystem. Um, and so when I think about this, I think of alive. I think of the soil's ability to continue to be alive and to, and to function at, at this high level. Um, when we start talking about regenerative agriculture, the one thing that we need to remember, there is no standard definition of it, but regenerative agriculture is this idea that we're taking the soil 
And we're not just sustaining the state that the soil's at, whether, you know, we're looking at that through a soil test or we're looking at, you know, the capacity of how much yield that the soil um, can contribute to, but regenerative is actually building more soil and building better soil and increasing the microbial activity in the soil um, and its ability to function. So that's, it, that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about soil health and this idea of regeneration. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, I grew up uh, of, you know, farming with my dad. And back then it was, yeah, we had our, our um, you know, chemical inputs and, and our, you know, nitrogen fertilizer and that sort of thing. But back in the 80s or so, 70s and 80s and even into the 90s, um, my dad kind of had this, this, uh, this way of farming where he looked at it as a whole system. We ran cattle on uh, wheat and then um, we, we put the cattle out on, on stalks here and there. Um, it was a whole system. It wasn't just um, plant the seed, harvest the plant, plant the seed, harvest the plant. And I think, um, you know, having done, having uh, been around the soil health community for just a couple of years, I'm, I'm starting to catch that other people have that same um, topic too. What do you think, Kayleen? I have to agree. My dad was a farmer too, but the cattle weren't integrated. It was basically what you said, plant the seed, harvest the crop. Plow the ground. I mean, mm -hmm. the best smell on earth is plowed dirt, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that that's not always the best case. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started on this soil health path? Um, do you, was there some sort of motivation for you or your husband or your family for for this kind of farming? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jenny, you mentioned this ecosystems approach, like looking at the operation as a whole. And the question is, you know, who feeds who or, or what feeds who? And so I don't have like this one exact moment when I was like, wow, it's, it's full health. We need to be looking at full health. But I think for me and my family, it all started with food. Mm -hmm. um, I am a city girl. I grew up in central Topeka and I grew up with folks, my parents, um, we're always huge backyard gardeners, um, huge backyard vegetable productions, as much as you could do in the urban setting. And eventually they desired a slower pace of life for us. So we moved out into um, an area near Jefferson County in northeastern Kansas. And my parents continued this huge love for producing food. At the time, you know, as a teenager, I really didn't get the connection of what they were doing with our little one-acre homestead that they had bought when I was a teenager, you know, it was kind of nerdy and I wasn't really into it. Um, but that feeding people and having fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, healthy meats on our dinner plate um, at the end of the day, I look back at that now, now that I'm a mom of three and, you know, work full-time, my husband works full-time, that is such a huge effort to put this meal on the table every single night. And so... Really, my my journey into all this came from the the, the food industry. Um, that's the industry that I was in prior to agriculture, and I worked with a number of um, restaurant chains in the Midwest, and I helped to develop franchises. I wrote menus. I actually sold restaurant franchises, um, you know, and then I opened up new restaurants. And so I had this. I was highly involved in in the process, and I was highly involved in creating, um, you know, meals for people, but I didn't really understand how the food got there. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what it took. Um, you know, I didn't, I, <laughs> I could drive through the country and not identify crops. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> so I absolutely. And you know, even today there's times when I'm like, is that cotton? Is that soy? You know, I have to, my kids are better at identifying crops <laughs> driving down the street than I am. So anyway, you know, I think um, I met my husband, who is an agronomist, not an astronomist, totally different field. Of study. <laughs> um, and so I really, at that point, it was just curiosity. And I had opinions about how I thought food was made. But until I truly learned, until I truly, you know, set my boots on the ground and started to learn about the business my husband ran as an agronomist, it shifted my whole thinking. And in a lot of ways, I think I kind of fell in love with, with this aspect of feeding people. You know, um, it's interesting that you, you say that because a lot of people think of, of soil health or regenerative ag or these type of topics as, well, it's all organic or it's all no-till. Um, those are things that are, that are ingrained in our, whether we're consumers on the consumer end or we're, we're farmers, but really it's about better utilizing the resources that we have, the natural resources that we have, and as well as, you know, the, the inputs that we are adding to and, and returning back to the soil. Um, did you, when you talk to people, do they just have that limited, and, and maybe the people that you talk to, maybe they're your friends back home um, that are city folks that are now out in the country. Do they think organic is this, I guess what I'm getting around to is, is this a way that farmers can use soil health to talk to our consumer consumers about what we're doing out here on, on our farmland? You nailed it. That is exactly what I see this as being such an important topic for all of us. To basically understand in our own way, um, I agree with you. I think that some of my perspectives going into agriculture is, and, and coming from the food industry and understanding probably more than the average person about consumer demand and understanding that, that you know, certain subsets of consumers are demanding X, Y, Z. And so initially my thought was, well, great, let's just produce it that way. Let's just do it. It wasn't until I truly understood how farming worked and, and I truly understood the decisions that growers make on a daily basis that I thought to myself, wow, this is the space that I need to be in. I need to be talking about the things that I learned. It's, it's um, the ability to humble your own way of thinking and to be able to look at it through a different lens. So I think you absolutely nailed it. I think this is what the opportunity is, is being able to talk about the things that we do. Um, being able to be an event planner, one thing that, that, that we focused on quickly was we have to have a lot of options. There is no prescription on how to achieve the results that we're looking for on each operation. You have to, what is your goal mm-hmm. for your farming operation? And then, and then you work with clients um, in that respect. And that goal is only what they can define. Um, it's not a, a set of rules or checklists or, or anything like that. So that's kind of how I look at it. Yes, this is a huge opportunity right now for agriculture for us to tell our story. You know, Kayleen, I don't know about you, but when I talk to some of my friends that did not grow up around agriculture and they don't understand all the 99 decisions that have to go into uh, not just it's not just figuring out what seed you're going to plant, but it's going to 
the 99 decisions along the way until it gets to the end user. Um, and at any point in time, any farmer that, that farms even next door to each other, they make a decision based on their own needs. And um, it has to be, you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, part of that sustainability is it's got to be economically viable. It has to make sense to the the farmer because we're not running to charity, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's key. Or you, you talked about all the things that you learned in agriculture coming from your background and our you events are targeting farmers and ranchers to get them to experience or to look, keep learning. Why do you think it's so important for people in agriculture to continue to educate themselves? You know, it's a growth mindset, and I think that there's so many things that we can't control. We can't control the weather. We can't control the markets. We can't control um, so many different aspects of our world, and so... To me, building resiliency in your operation is key. And, and you're exactly right. You know, you mentioned earlier about um, sustainability is our ability to continue farming next season. Um, and so we have to look at it through many different lenses when we make decisions. Um, so I just, I think that having the ability to, um, maybe shift our paradigm a little bit and shift the way that we're thinking and maybe ask ourselves, okay, I've done this the same way for many, many years. Or maybe this time, maybe it's a legacy. Maybe, you know, my dad did it this way or maybe grandpa did it this way. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we profitable right now? Mm -hmm. And that, that is where I think these U events have such an amazing ability to um, pique people's interest for them to learn more. I mean, the best knowledge that you gain is by getting out there and observing it on your own operation. Uh, so, so having these U events and having a wide variety of different industry leaders, different peer groups, different farmer-to-farmer driven education, which is my favorite space, um, I think can really propel that. So speaking of, of learning, let's talk some real-world examples because um, so often, you know, my friends that live in the city, again, if we say something like cover crops or we say something like uh, no-till or reduced-till or infiltration, they don't really quite understand exactly how that, that works. So maybe is there something that, that you all, that you have learned along the way and that you and your family have implemented on, on, on your ground or, or you've seen in action and, and why is it important and, and how does it help us in, in our end goals? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think about just a little bit about how I got to this point. Um, a number of years ago, when I was working in Pratt, we were working on a farmer's market. We were working on um, different educational pieces within the community to be able to, I guess, originally my way of thinking as a city girl was like, well, if we just build a farmer's market, we'll have more farmers and more people will want to do this. And so um, I kind of learned there's, there's so much that goes into creating um, new concepts in the community. So one example I could give you about this is um, my husband and I farm um, about 150 acres in Pratt, Kansas, um, kind of out by Colson. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, 
typical rotation, wheat, corn, soybeans. And so when we first started learning about soil health, this was way before I really understood, you know, before I understood what regenerative meant, um, we, we started learning. And my husband, as the agronomist, was, was attempting to kind of learn alongside me. And what's really funny is um, I was very fortunate to receive a lot of different women in ag scholarships. I was going to all these conferences. I was connecting with all these people. And I was coming home and telling my husband about it. And it was just kind of like, okay, Jess, we're not, we're not really going to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it, <laughs> what I would do is I would write my husband these emails um, and I would create like a single topic, whether it was like mycorrhizal fungi, whether it was multi-species cover crop, whatever. And I would write these emails because I knew he was really busy. And I knew that, uh, you know, a nagging wife trying to teach her husband something who has absolutely no background in agronomy, that wasn't going to go over too well. And it typically doesn't. And so I, I was I was feeding him this information over the course of a few years. And it, what is so funny is he heard Dr. Christine Nichols um, two years ago, after I had been sending him this information, I was sending <laughs> YouTube videos about her. Well, he met her in person, and he called me up, and he was like, oh, my gosh, I just discovered the purpose of mycorrhizal fungi. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Shannon, I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> um, but, but it's kind of funny. It takes another person, you know, uh-huh. to, to, like, to, to make this concept reality. So, because of that, we planted our first multi-species cover crop two years ago. Oh. And my husband had his doubts about it. Um, you know, there was, uh, a, we, we just come off of a really dry um, wheat season where our wheat didn't even get a couple inches the entire growing season. So there was this hesitation about going in after wheat with a multi-species cover crop. And um, but we did it, and I would call it somewhat of a success, that for sure. If we could do it over, we would have planted a different type of blend. Mm-hmm. Um, we might have leaned a little bit more on some of our industry experts, you know, whether it be through some of the seed companies or whatever. And so last year, we switched up um, our blend, and we planted the cover crop again after wheat, and, and it was more of a success. And so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is it's, it's difficult. The first thing you have to do is change the mind. Yep. Change the mind, be, be willing to try something new, and then understand it might not be amazing the first year. You might have to tweak things. You might have to go back to the drawing board and identify what went wrong. And then on top of it, we went from a really dry season to all of a sudden, you know, having a bunch of rain. So... If we just had that crystal ball that could tell us exactly what the weather was going to do, it'd be a lot easier. Yeah, Mother Nature is not exactly the most silent of business partners. (laughs) No, she's not. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So you've you've met and listened to a lot of people that are in the soil health field, um, some of who have just started the journey. What's something that all these people that you've listened to or heard from, have have in common? The biggest thing that I have witnessed as I have gone to these different events across the nation is people's willingness to be transparent. And it's, it's almost surprising and shocking. I've been in presentations where guys open up the checkbook 
wow. and show you exactly what they're spending or they, they pull out the QuickBooks. Um, I think the transparency of sharing their information of what worked and what, what didn't work has been refreshing to me. Um, it doesn't feel like a proprietary system. I think that the message that I hear a lot when I when I attend events is the principles of regenerative agriculture can be applied successfully anywhere in the world. You know, I have connections that are working in South Africa. I have connections in South America, Guatemala, New Zealand, um, Australia. And so what's amazing is there's this common ground language of open transparency, sharing what works, and being brutally honest about our, our failures. I often joke, um, I don't, I, one of these days we need to have a failures forum. Where we <laughs> talk about the things, and, and I don't know, I have one of my favorite friends down in Protection, Kansas. He has the most hilarious story of a failure. They actually accidentally brought um, a live chicken into the farmer's market at Old Town in Wichita, Kansas. Wait, 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 wait. How do you accidentally bring a live chicken? (laughs) They're not exactly quiet. Okay, Okay. I'm calling out Kurt and Andy Dale right now. But um, yes, it, it actually happened, and they didn't know it. And what happened was they set up at Old Town, and somebody came to them because, you know, they were obviously selling, um, you know, chicken breasts and, and chickens. And they said, excuse me, we think maybe you uh, accidentally brought a live chicken to the farmer's market. <laughs> so <laughs> Kurt tells this story. And, and is this not the perfect example of us sharing our message with town folks? You know, with the yep. says, like, here's our message. Well, the horrible part is he had to catch the chicken. He had to, like, go and, like, he had a hook and he had a, this whole process in oh, the bag. No. Anyway, it's a horrible story. But what I'm saying is that sometimes if we can all share our failures or things that we really believed in and we thought they were going to work and, and we thought they were going to have this magical aspect, you know, soil health and regenerative ag isn't magical. You can't just do these things one time and think that it's, it's going to work perfectly. So I always talk about if we can share the things that didn't work sometimes, uh, maybe that would be a space where folks can learn. There you go. Well, um, there's a lot of trends that I've been seeing in in soil health topics. Um, You know, everything from uh, how do we introduce livestock into the system to um, chickens. I know we've got somebody talking about chickens, bringing them into the system at Soil Health U this year. But Looking at our, our upcoming uh, Soil Health U in January, I noticed a trend on the, on the program of how does soil health help us with our economics, not just on the farm, but in the community. Can you explain why, um, why that was important to put on the, the program this year and, and maybe how soil health, regenerative agriculture, going some, uh, using some of these tactics how they can help just beyond the farm gate, but your neighbors as well? Absolutely. This is something that's just so near and dear to my heart, this idea that, um, you know, healthy healthy farm operations create healthy farm communities. And when we're able to extend what we do back into the community, and that's what's so amazing about this world of agriculture, what people don't realize is, 
every single producer I've ever worked with has this lens of community and of their family and of, of you know, this generational um, mindset of, of, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a fifth generation, I'm a sixth generation. Um, so this aspect of community is, is so important. Um, a couple examples of this would be, um, you know, we do have a number of producers that grow what's called a chaos garden. Okay. And if you think about, you know, my my mother and my father and actually both sets of my grandparents were not farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked in other industries, but my great-grandmother had a farm out um, near Concordia, Kansas. And I remember going out there. And think of think of what farming operations looked like for our great-grandparents. They, mm-hmm. I, I, what I remember is my grandmother's strawberry patch, and I remember her um, her uh, – so, oh, what's it called? The root cellar, mm-hmm. where she would can all of her food and have all of that in there. And so what I'm so excited about in regenerative agriculture is bringing back some of these ideas um, through the use of the chaos garden. So the definition of a chaos garden, it goes essentially like this. Producers are taking a couple acres. A lot of times they'll do it, you know, near near the home or they'll do it near um, like the end of a pivot to where it, it has the ability to get water throughout the growing season. And they're spreading a mixed amount of food seeds, like you'll have squash, watermelons, pumpkins, corn, beans, tomatoes, peppers, etc. And, and so they're able to grow um, not just the crops that they're, that they're growing on their large-scale operation, but they also have the ability to grow um, specialty crops. Specialty crops in Kansas is something that, um, you know, this education goes both ways. And I think the farming community should probably, we need to better understand that Kansas is far, far below the national average in producing specialty crops, meaning crops that are not commodity crops, crops that are typically eaten, their fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's a really good way for there to be a two-way um, communication. So I think that the farming community can contribute a little bit more to that. And and that's where I see um, different communities like Pratt, there's some communities in Northwest Kansas, Wichita, some of the bigger cities, um, having these bigger, better farmers markets so that folks that are producing specialty crops in general can get into the cities and tell a little bit more about agriculture. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about Soil Health U. Uh, this is your first year as our content consultant. Um, can you give me one or two things that are new this year and why it was important to get them on the schedule? Yes, this is super exciting. So um, probably my, my, my first focus was how do we bring more women into the programming, but also how do we bring more women into the seat? Like how do we drive this idea that women are decision makers on the operation? And also when it comes to soil health, a lot of times I see the concepts that we're talking about really get picked up by women rather quickly. And so we're able to see um, the implementation of new practices a lot of times can happen a little bit faster. So I'm excited to see that. 
The second thing is we have the Land Institute from Salina, Kansas, that are going to be participating in a couple breakout sessions. What's really interesting about them is um, they're a nonprofit research organization, and they focus on perennial cropping systems. And we've talked about perennial cropping systems in the past. I believe Colin Spice attended last year um, and, and talked a lot about what he was doing in Australia at Soil Health U. Um, but this is going to give us an opportunity to talk about Kernza, and Kernza is a perennial small grain that is being piloted in the high plains right now. And so we're actually also going to have a number of the growers who participated in the pilot of growing Kernza. So Kernza, as a perennial crop, is one that gets, it will see multiple harvests on the same crop. Mm-hmm. So this is really exciting. I think that this can this can help with um, you know, having that continual live root in the ground, helping out soil health, helping out profitability, um, and being able to possibly bring something new to the market. The Kernza grain is being used um, with a couple different food companies right now, and they also made Kernza beer out of it. So I'm kind of excited to well, maybe hey. try that. <laughs> I'm willing I'm willing, and, and to try any of the Kernza beer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, conference, you know, it, it's a tough job, but somebody, somebody it somewhere is. has to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm willing and able. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating to me at, at soil health events, you mentioned that there is a, a, a rise of women that attend these events that take the messages back home. It's clear in your own family, you did that as well. It, it's it's interesting, Kayleen, because not only can women do anything in agriculture, but sometimes when we when we see stuff in action, we implement it. We don't have preconceived notions about what can be done and what can't be done. We just do that. Hey, let's try it, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Kind of kind of thing. Um, and I just love that there's going to be more women on the speaker panels. There's going to be specifically a women in in soil health speaker panel later on on day number two that I'm just I'm tickled about because it's rare that you have an all-female dais and that's just wonderful so kudos to you (laughs) thank you and I'll just mention really quickly writing bios for women in agriculture they have so much going on uh women aren't just you know producers they, they have their operation a lot of them focus on, you know, have jobs off the farm and that they're able to focus on teaching or soil health or um, different group activities and, you know, belonging to professional organizations. It's amazing. When I was helping get all the bios to be able to put on the website, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you ladies are rocking it. You're doing (laughs) so many different things in the community and outside the community. But that's where the key is, that communication um, through the lens of, you know, women is, is going to take us to the next step, in my opinion. Well, as we, we kind of wrap this up here, our, our time um, grows a little bit short, but uh, what's, what's some final thoughts that you had? You know, the biggest thing that pops out into my mind as I hear you ask that question is I want to talk and have a conversation further about nutrient density. Mm-hmm. Healthy soil that is alive and filled with the, you know, the underground livestock of microbes and the soil food web and all of the different critters that live in the soil and on top of the soil, 
those are the things that contribute to nutrient cycling to create more nutrient-dense food. We have a challenge ahead of us, and that is we have seen a decline in nutrient density in all of our crops. So I guess if you want to sum it down to my biggest motivation is the, the food that I eat as a child, I want my children to be getting the same amount of nutrients and even more as we look into the future. So the key to this, the outcome, what we're looking for is better profitability so that folks can sustain from year to year and that farmers and ranchers can do what they love and what's in their blood. And number two, being able to provide um, a food product that the entire world is excited about. And I believe that we do that and we quantify that through the lens of nutrient density. Well, that's, you know, that's that's something that I heard about in a, in a webinar that I was listening to the other day. It's not that we need to raise our, our yields, right, Kayleen, but we also have to increase our nutrient nutrition, whether that's biofortification of the seed or or working on the soil and, and, and uh, making sure that it's healthy soil. Kayleen, you're a mom. That's really critical to you too, right? <laughs> yeah, it's at some level it is, just making sure that they get something to eat that's not a Pop-Tart or... Exactly. The leftover Halloween candy that just will not go away. <laughs> Amen to that. I agree with that. Oh, that's the hardest part of being a mom. We can have the most nutrient things sitting in front of them, but it's getting those, those kiddos to eat it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jessica, thank you so very much for joining us on HPJ Talk today. And we look forward to Soil Health U in January. And if you want to uh, join us at the Tony's Pizza Event Center, you can catch us at, what's that website again, um, Jessica? Yes, it's www.soilhealthu.net. All right. You can find us on Facebook. Great. Well, thanks again, Jessica, and we will see you on the trail. Awesome. Thank you. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on December 3rd. Corn was up at $3.66. Wheat was down at $3.87. Milo was up at $3.16. And soybeans were down at Be sure to watch for the Antique Machinery issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes December 23rd with a story from Lacey Newland. And as always, you can look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember... As Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. 
dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of my day. 